Hello, welcome to some Derp's Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk about the James Gunn's The Suicide Squad. Um, before we do that, Buddy, why don't you tell the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast? Well, on this podcast, we talk about timely movies for once in our lives. We actually talk about something that's relatively recent. Um, over the weekend, uh, The Suicide Squad came out. You know, it's James Gunn's R-rated sequel. The- theoretically reboot, but honestly, it's a sequel, right? Um, to the 2016 Suicide Squad, and uh, it's come out to rave, rave reviews. People enjoy it on Twitter.com. Um, yeah, so that's what that's what we're doing. That's what we're talking about today. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, let's give our pre-spoiler opinions. Uh, uh, I'll, I'll go first, I guess, for this one. I thought it was good. Um, it was a very James Gunn movie. Um, I thought in like stark contrast to Black Widow, which was the thing that was the last movie we saw. This is like, you know, in terms of like the authorship and like artfulness, I guess so much better. Um, so you know, big ups for me. I thought it had some problems, but not a ton. But I'm sure we'll get into those in the in the uh, spoiler section. But what did you think of it? Yeah, it really painted Black Black Widow in a pretty poor light, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, like it made, like. I think it's just because these are, like, the movies that I have gone back to the theater to see. You know, obviously, The Suicide Squad, the masterpiece that was F9, and uh, and Black Widow does not paint a a good picture for Black Widow. She has pretty poor neighbors in the the movie's apartment. I thought that this movie was very good, and I liked it a lot, and I thought that it was, um, you know, I don't want to say, like, auteur- but it does feel that way to me, right? In terms of like, what is the most James Gunn movie that he's made outside, you know, in the big blockbuster system? Probably this one, right? Yeah. Uh, more so than the than the two Guardians movies. Yeah, because um, he doesn't have, uh, you know, the the Disney burden on, you know, the Disney monkey on his shoulder. Yeah. Well, and it's rated R, right? It's yeah. not PG thirteen, and this is a guy with, you know, very rated R sensibilities. I guess um, there's a part of me that that wants to really go to bat for this movie like that wants to like fight really hard for it in the way that i maybe would have fought for you know just like like the batman v supermans of the world but i'm also sort of held back from that opinion um just by the uh i don't know there's there's like just enough in there to keep it right under that threshold of like a movie that really blew me away right like an aquaman for instance, right? A movie with plenty of problems, but that I just, like, love so much, and I just can't help but, you know, like, pour my heart into it. I was very close to that, but I didn't quite get there with Suicide Squad. Yeah. Or the Suicide Squad. It's interesting that you say that, because I, I feel like some of our criticisms are going to line up then. But okay. um, I do want to put a big spoiler warning in front of this. Um, you know, no spoilers. I, I think this movie is actually pretty eminently spoilable. Um, yeah. I think going into it very clean is huge. Yeah, no. And I also, by the way, think that this is pretty new for DC. I feel like most DC movies tend to spoil themselves pretty hard in the trailer. Like, one of my biggest criticisms of Batman vs. Superman, like, was this marketing campaign that revealed Doomsday and Wonder Woman in a trailer where otherwise it would have been cool to have that stuff kept secret for the film. Um, so. Yeah. You know, yeah. I think that it is nice that this stuff didn't get super spoiled and, you, and we could go in relatively clean. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. Um, and with that, I'm going to say uh, spoilers in three, two, one. All right. 
Um, so in the grand tradition of me asking Buddy random questions about the DC Universe, is the Weasel a real character? Honestly, I don't know. So <laughs> many of these characters are so obscure that I don't even know them, um, which I thought was crazy. You know, like that, I feel like that's like, honestly, like it never happened. Um, that that whole first whole first team, right? Like that whole, yeah. I was like, what are they going to do with this? I'm like... And like, like, was it TDK, the detachable kid? Like his arms come off and like slaps him. I'm like, what? What is this? That that whole rug pull I thought was like pretty, pretty fucking brilliant. Yeah, uh, I agree with you. Though I am sad. Uh, what the detachment kid? That's what I thought. I'm, that's that's what I thought that um that the, the detachable kid. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I thought that uh. I'm just looking uh, some of these characters up to see if I can. Oh, oh, uh, yeah. Since you're the the the. Uh, it, the, the weasel is real. Some of these characters I know. I know uh, Bloodsport. I know Ratcatcher. I know, um, though, obviously a lot of these characters are very different. Um, Peacemaker, for instance. Yeah, um, I, I but, knew about Polka Dot Man, so, you know, it's not like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but... Uh, and everybody knows TDK Harley Quinn. Is maybe is maybe not real. But maybe he is. Who knows? I mean, yeah, I was really hoping that Captain Boomerang was going to stick around. I've all Captain Boomerang is one of my favorite characters in the comics. Uh, both there, so there's kind of two versions of Captain Boomerang. But one of them is he's kind of this punching bag for like fat, overweight loser, like supervillain. He's like the poster child for this, right? Um, and then eventually he dies, but his son is a like his son takes on the Captain Boomerang mantle and becomes, like, a real villain for the Flash or whatever. I don't know which one of these Jai Courtney is supposed to be playing, but, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, and I actually found him fairly entertaining in the original, right, um, or, you know, Cap Captain Boomerang or whatever, I thought, because like, he was basically the comic relief in, in, in that film, if I remember correctly. It's been a while, um, but, uh, uh, you know, uh, so, yeah, no, I, I, uh, uh, it was it was it was a super like the 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 way that that went down was just like so un like I was like I didn't know Pete 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 Davis that's the guy's name right or Pete Davies mm -hmm. or something Pete Davidson like, yeah Davidson that's the one um, I was like I didn't know he was in this movie and then like he immediately dies which is fucking fucking great uh, yeah um, so yeah I thought I thought the opening so I thought the opening was good but then so this this is this will bring me to my only like really big criticism of the movie is did you that rug pull. And then the opening scene, like on the island, not the it's not the opening scene, but the scene, the next scene on the island, which is where they go through the camp, um, and it turns out it's the rebel camp, and it's all that that's another rug pull, um, right? Like it turns out that it's a bunch of rebels, and they're good guys, and they killed a bunch of good guys, um, yeah. And that scene was fun and funny, but that was such a big rug pull that for the rest of the movie, I kept waiting for like big rug pulls at big moments. I feel like I, I wanted to call this the Marvel effect, like uh, whenever something. Whenever something like momentous was happening, I was waiting for like the rug pull for like to, to show like that something was wrong, right? Like or, the, or you know like the bathos moment or whatever. Um, and I don't know if it's a criticism of the movie, maybe it's more of a criticism of the genre. And I didn't do that, so I, I I like I it kept me from getting invested in the moment because I was expecting that bathos moment, which is I, I guess more of a criticism of, of the genre than it is. That's in the movie, really interesting. So. I you know that's really interesting. I don't know how I feel about that. I guess I do. I liked both of those moments, but I didn't think of it as a rug pull. Um, specifically, the um, 
the like the thing in the rebel camp like i didn't think of that as a rub pull like that you know it was it's funny but it's funny in the way that a like a joke is right so it didn't feel like bathos or in the way that i normally think of bathos if that makes sense right um and there's a couple of other like moments like this that ride the line of being like jokey jokes or whatever right like harley quinn escaping as they're trying to break in it's like undercutting this like heist they're doing but the thing but one of the things i really like about the movie is that it is like this kind of comedy of errors right yeah Where everything goes wrong constantly it feels like yeah and, and i would say that the harley quinn moment works better because they don't they don't pull the rug on you because they, they preload Harley Quinn escaping, right? And they show yeah. the heist part after that's already done. So it's not like you're... Yeah, they you're... set up the heist and then they cut to Harley Quinn being interrogated. Yeah. There's enough time in the interrogation just so you can kind of lose the thread about, like, the heist. Then she has this, like, badass, you know, escape sequence or whatever. <laughs> and then you go back to... And I think that, like, that's just... Yeah. I don't know. Like, that's just, like, good comedic time. Yeah, it's good comedic... But I think that there's actually a lot of that stuff in the movie, right? Where they're just kind of failing forwards, like each each individual piece, they are just failing to the next individual piece. I agree. I agree. Um, uh, so, other things I thought, they did, like, I thought that, what, so, still in the early movie, I think one of the best things they did was they made Amanda Waller into, like, like an un... Like, uh, like a... An undeniable villain, like, yeah. immediately, right? Like, the thing, like, like you know... The thing with 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 Bloodsport's kid was just like so fucking terrible. Like it's I like I just mentioned one thing. I just have to mention this. Go for that. it. It's so obvious that it's supposed to be Will Smith as Deadshot in this bit, right? We had set up. So I I think this this drives me nuts about this movie, right? How clear it is that Bloodsport is supposed to be Deadshot. That I just like that was the thing that really like kept me out of it or whatever. Which honestly, I don't think that that's a fair like that's not criticism. That's just like uh, I understand the makings of this you know world or whatever. But they introduce. And they set up this relationship between Deadshot and his daughter in the first Suicide Squad, which this is a real sequel to, right? Is Everybody it? Everybody keeps saying, like, reboot, but, like, it has a bunch of the same actors playing the same characters who acknowledge the same, like, universe. Well, they don't acknowledge, the, like, do, do they acknowledge the continuity, though? Yeah, well, because uh, Harley knows Boomerang and, Rick's, and uh, Rick Flag. Flag. Yeah, I guess that's true. From, I guess that's from the, the original Suicide Squad or whatever, which is just like I don't know. To me, I feel like they they had very uh, they had very kind of cold feet in the same way that Wonder Woman nineteen eighty four did about acknowledging the greater right. DC universe. Almost right? kind of and like how how uh, uh, what was it uh, Aquaman did right? Like every like everything post um, Justice League has been kind of like you know plausible deniability for the rest of the D the DCEU which is which is weird right like i feel i feel like they want to be able to like eject any movie that uh they don't quite like you think aquaman did i th i feel like aquaman effortlessly right what 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 do you think aquaman like fails to interact with well, the DC universe well th there's just nothing there right like there's like not a lot for, like he, he there's like oh he, there's like a line there there's like one line where she talks about them fighting Steppenwolf, right? And obviously he, you know, the the trident and stuff like that, but like, right, yeah, but I, I guess I, I, I it's guess all, that's mean. what I mean by plausible deniability, right? Like, this okay, could yeah. be a it reboot or it could thin, be a right? sequel, there are, right? There yeah. are no continuity nods basically at all, right? Yeah. Um, which on one hand I get, 
right? Maybe that's a maybe that's something that you don't want to like saddle people with. But boy, oh boy, did it feel like Bloodshot was supposed to be Deadshot, and or sorry, Bloodsport was supposed to be Deadshot, and it bothers me so much that it wasn't. I didn't hate Idris Elba. I I actually I like Idris Elba a lot, but I don't really think he's a movie star, and I don't really think he's a leading man either. Um, I think Idris Elba is best in a supporting role, if that makes sense. And um, and it just felt like this was written for Will Smith, and they couldn't get Will Smith for whatever reason, and that just sucks. Or they didn't want to pay Will Smith, maybe, or like whatever other reason. And it's not even they they didn't even recast Deadshot. They just put a new character in this exact same role. I don't know. That that just like it bothered me. No, I I, I get it, and and I, I I think this is like the epitome of the the possible deniability thing, right? Like the fact that they didn't recast him, they just they made a different character means that. If you know, at some point in the future, Will Smith wants to come back as Deadshot, it's there, right? Like, you can. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I will say, though, I think that John Cena as Peacemaker is maybe, like, the most perfect thing I've ever seen, right? Like, this- Yeah, I'm not surprised that he got the spinoff now. At first, everyone was like, what the fuck? Because apparently, so after the Suicide Squad, Warner Brothers liked it so much that they told James Gunn, they were like, we want you to make an HBO Max series. And he and they were like, you can just choose anybody you want, do what whatever you want to do. And he chose Peacemaker. Which really? I was like, why? Who? What? Why on earth would you choose that? But I get it a lot more now. <laughs> it makes a lot more sense. I also loved Peacemaker. I think Peacemaker is one of the best parts of the movie, specifically because he is kind of this gr- this gigantic payoff for some of these other parts of the movie. Like one of the things that I like a lot about the structure of the Suicide Squad is that Waller is this villain who is thousands and thousands of miles away, right? There's stakes. She can blow up your head whenever you want, right? But she's not, like, directly really interacting in a physical space with any of our characters. Um, but, like, the, the fight between Rick Flagg and Peacemaker was so brutal. And yeah. he is sort of assuming the narrative weight of Waller in that moment, right? Um, which I think made his, you know, made his stuff just that much better and that much cooler. And John Cena is so charismatic and just like Peacemaker is just such a fucking ridiculous guy in the first place. But he is also like weirdly believable in that kind of cartoon way where like, you know, when SpongeBob SquarePants holds the telephone up and then sticks his hand through the telephone and it comes out Sandy's telephone and it works because cartoon logic even though that would never actually really work a lot of a lot of peacemaker stuff works on that basis if that makes sense right um, but it's just like I loved every minute of it I thought that all oh of yeah that was great up to and including I actually kind of wished he died a little bit um, I mean it, given that they're doing this whatever series with him that's fine but I just I I, I love the number one thing I love about this movie is it kills everybody it's just no, everybody fucking died. Yeah, no, I, I was sad that, that they killed they killed David Desmalchian just because, like, I, I like him as an actor. I felt like he didn't get quite enough time in the movie, right? Like, I, I don't know what else you do with Polka Dot Man, but I was like, it felt like yeah. he got, like, a couple of moments, and then he kind of, like, dies, in, 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 you know, not not in a great way. I, I can't, uh, yeah, but yes, Peacemaker, like, Peacemaker, like, Works because like not only is it like 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 you said the cartoonish thing but like you know I saw a tweet the other day it was like you know I love peace so much and I don't care how many people I need to I need to kill to maintain it right is like somebody tweeted like uh, John Cena as literally every American president ever which is you know like like <laughs> like in like that that right in that vein right like you know 
um, a, you know, a psychopath that, like, you know, truly believes. Like, he's also, I think, like, the most the most Suicide Squad character in my conception of the Suicide Squad. Maybe I'm wrong, but, like, this is a superhero story, right? This is, like, a almost very traditional superhero story where the characters we're told have done some bad things, and we've got some evidence of that, right? Like, it's not it's not like they're, they're squeaky clean, but, like, in the context of the movie, everybody besides Peacemaker is fairly heroic, right? Like, yeah. Um, and it is, and it do, you're right, it does follow that kind of, like, I think of this as, like, the Iron Man 1 path, right? You have, the the arc is from selfishness to selflessness, right? Yeah. Bloodsport starts the movie in a self selfish place and ends up killing, you know, Starro, saving the world, and all, all of, everything in between. Yes, yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you. I miss, honestly, that version of, that's the Suicide Squad that I remember in the comics and the, that I like a lot. Right, which is just like the everyone out for their own games. Actually, I kind of feel like, the, and this is my other criticism. I like that Rick Flag died. I thought that that was huge, and I was it was a big like, oh, no way. Because the thing about the Suicide Squad comic is that it has a very rotating cast, but Rick Flag is always the guy. You know, like he is like the point person on the ground or whatever. So killing him is kind of like. It's like killing Superman in Justice League. You know what I mean? Like, he is the he's sort of this central figure that everything else kind of, like, revolves around or whatever. Um, but I do think that they kind of whiffed a little bit on Rick Flagg's character, where, like, um, in this, he's kind of lawful good, I would say, whereas Peacemaker is, like, lawful neutral slash evil, probably neutral, where Waller is lawful evil, and that's kind of the, the thing, right? Um... Where at this moment, at this critical juncture, you know, Rick Flag chooses to be good rather than to follow the rules, and that's what puts him in conflict with Peacemaker. Um, but I sort of don't think that's Rick Flag. I think Rick Flag is a true lawful neutral character, and he does legitimately fucked up things, um, and I think is part of legitimately fucked up things. And I kind of don't like this like. I don't know, the, like the moralism of it, it just missed me a little bit. Yeah, I mean that's it's easy, like you know, it's I feel like this is this is in your rehashing an argument we've 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 had before, right? Like you know, he doesn't have to be his comic book version of himself, right? Yeah, um, no, that's fair. And and I think I think in that vein, like him dying, I think like does a lot to like kind of alleviate that pressure, right? It's not like he's going to continue to divert from his comic book per personality because yeah. he's not there anymore. Um, but that that is definitely sort of like the base of the of the criticism like i like i like that version of it more but you know what are you gonna do it, yeah. it's like i guess i would say it's relatively it's a relatively minor beef but it is the kind of thing that keeps like this is this is what i'm talking about when i say that you know it doesn't quite hit in that favorite territory for me like this is the kind of stuff that probably that probably keeps it down i think also part of it is that i you know it's kind of weird to say this because I did connect. Maybe this is just Idris Elba it hits me in a different way than Will Smith does. But like, I just don't think I connected with Bloodsport the same way that I did with Deadshot in the original Suicide Squad. Yeah. Um, and that is a weird. That's like a weird place to to sort of be in because I think that this movie is all overall so much better written and directed and edited. You know, like all of this other stuff is better, but just something about like the acting kind of kept me away from uh, the main character compared. You know, like yeah, I mean, I, 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 I will say that I think that like 
that like the the Idris Elba or the 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 Bloodsport arc is a little bit flaccid. Like the moral center of the movie is definitely Ratcatcher too. Um, yeah. Um, and she's and she's she's all like she's nice from the beginning, right? Like, and you know they even do a little thing to, to paint her as like you know she robbed a bank, but like she's in like you know she's she's you know assault with a deadly weapon on the technicality of the rats being a deadly weapon or whatever. Like like that was like the movie I think is telling us that that's not just even though you know yeah. what what you know what whatever there right like cause she does use rats to kill people right like it's not like that's like a uh, I mean she's the one that ends up ultimately taking down Starro right like but. That that point aside, um, I agree with you. I don't know. I'm still stuck on you saying that that John's or that Peacemaker was lawful neutral because I don't I don't know if I agree with that. Like I don't know that I really agree with yeah. it I, either. But just that like, like it, it, no, but I definitely think the Rick Flag analysis is spot on. Right, that he that he's a good guy. He's like your he's yeah. like your he's your uh, he's your Boy Scout, and uh, yeah. and uh, uh, and uh, I, I think your your comparison there is that Peacemaker is Waller made manifest on the scene. Um, the thing that I would say about Peacemaker, this here's my argument for Peacemaker being neutral, lawful neutral, is that he does recognize the evil at play and rationalizes it, right? In the moment when, when you know, Rick Flagg has the thing, Peacemaker doesn't argue that, uh, he, you know... That Rick Flagg's wrong, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He doesn't argue that it's wrong. He argues sort of this greater good argument of, like, what would it help if this were to get out, right? Which I think that is the kind of argument that a lawful neutral character would make because uh, he is justifying the following the rules even though he, it, without without really stepping onto like the good or evil side of the morality. I think a lawful evil character would probably say torturing kids is good actually, right? The science that we got out of this is good actually or something kind of along those lines. But Peacemaker doesn't do that. He doesn't really try and excuse the bad thing. He just thinks following the rules is more important than whether okay. the thing is good or bad. So I see what you're saying. I just don't think he's following. Like cuz like I feel like the true lawful neutral character, right, is like, you know, is is like um it's almost it's almost like Rorschach, right? Like Rorschach is the character who's like kind of like a fuck up, but like wants the truth to get out, right? Like you know, like the United States should be punished. Like the law says, the United States should be held to account for the Starro experiment, right? Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah I mean yeah. that kind of depends on where. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, your you know, like where your axis of yeah. law is. The, the the law axis that I'm talking about here is essentially allegiance to the yeah. United States government. Or whatever, but theoretically there is sort of a law axis of like the Geneva Convention. Or, or yeah, right? yeah, yeah, like like yeah. you know the, like the United States Constitution rather than or you know like the international law. Yeah, but yes. Yeah, no. and in that instance, Waller is chaotic evil, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, no, because yeah. so, to, to me, Peacemaker is like the um, is you know, you know, uh, and justify the means, right? Like the consequence or the um, you know the. the the means be damned. Like the consequences are what's what's important, and you know. And I don't know. I don't feel like that fits well into like the the, the lawful chaotic uh, spectrum. But th this is ultimately a, a distraction. Yeah, I, I guess. mean, yeah. yeah, maybe not, right? Yeah. But it, it is definitely like sort of where that conflict, you know, where yes. that conflict came yeah. down. Um, and uh, and I have a particular soft like lawful neutral is my favorite, you know, like alignment. So I have a particular soft spot for like this kind of a conflict where someone is torn between doing what they know is right and following the rules. I think that that's like really great, you know, like dramatic tension. Um, this is like my argument for like Thrall ch cheated in the Makara. This is different. Yeah, we can talk about this in the back yeah. half if we want to. But the point is, 
Peacemaker as this as this character who has that who has that tension in him is part of what I is part of what I really like enjoyed. I also oh, just yeah. think John Cena is fucking hilarious. He's a funny guy. Yeah, he's super funny. He's like uh, I was I was my brother hadn't seen him. I was discussing with my brother. I was like, and I I think I called John Cena an actor, and my brother like kind of like scoffed. Um, <laughs> I was like, hey, The Rock managed to do it, right? Like he's more an actor now than he is in WWE. But I thought he I thought he like like I think in the past he hasn't been as good. But I think that, like, this kind of, like, meathead character is kind of perfect for John Cena. And he, he does, like, it feels like wrestling-level acting, but I think that's what makes it enjoyable, right? Like, yeah. they, they, they found... I, I absolutely agree with that. They found an archetype that plays to, like, the WWE sensibilities, which is which is mm. uh, kind of great, actually. I just realized that I don't have chat open, so if anybody has been, has they been haven't. talking in chat, I'm so sorry. I don't think I don't think anybody's watching right now. Oh no, we've got okay. we've got somebody. Hello, have this too. Uh, welcome, welcome. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah. Um, so other things in the movie we uh, we haven't talked about Harley Quinn. How did you think about this Harley Quinn subplot? Um, I don't know. It felt. <sighs> I thought I thought like the part with the with the Generalissimo or whatever was fun like it was a fun scene but I felt like it was like mostly detached right like I felt I felt like you could have told me that like she was actually shot entirely separately and they spliced all her footage into the movie and I could have believed it right like she didn't seem to be like super well integrated with with, with anything I get uh, that I but, liked Har- I, I liked Harley a lot and I, I especially like Margot Robbie in this role like she sure. loves it she clearly owns it I think she's probably the best like actor character in the movie um and i think and i and narratively i really like what this did which is it broke up the it broke up the action um something that happens sometimes especially with you know movies that are a little bit more like straight as an arrow aquaman kind of has this problem right is that it's just one thing after another right because you don't you don't have anything to cut to um but this you can always you can cut between the team and Harley, which I thought was really useful to kind of like break up the action. It does. It does the nice thing of like, you know, um, uh, I can't believe I'm about, I'm about to make this. Harley's like the B it plot, right? The, well, yeah. So it does the B plot, and it does this thing that like um, that like Attack of the Clones did, where I can't believe I'm about to compliment this movie, where Attack of the Clones cuts between Anakin's stuff on. Um, you know, like, because Anakin, Anakin's stuff with Padme on Naboo and eventually on Tatooine and, like, Obi-Wan doing his mystery stuff. And when we talked about Attack of the Clones, I talked about how Obi-Wan's mystery stuff is, like, the good shit and the Tatooine stuff sucks because, like, these are actors who have no chemistry or whatever. But one of the things that makes that dynamic work is that they're completely different energies, right? It's not that, like, either of those characters are doing the same thing but split apart which is something you'll also sometimes see in movies, right? Um, I actually think that this might be something that frustrates me a little bit about something like, um, uh, like, like maybe like Infinity War, or like Civil War or something like that, right? One of these like big team-up superhero movies. Both sides are doing superhero team-up nonsense, right? But like, they're, so you're kind of cutting from one story archetype to another. What I like about this is it is cutting from, you know, the, the team doing their infiltrating you know, military ops mission or whatever to like Harley doing this like whirlwind romance with the dictator of the nation into the escape, 
you know, like the daring escape from prison, right? Like it just has this completely opposite energy of what of what's happening in you know in the other in the A plot, right? And I think that that's a really neat effect that I didn't. I, I probably have seen this a million times, but I didn't really think about it until this moment where I was like, oh, this works really well. It keeps the whole movie feeling like that much more fresh because like, I don't know, it just moves the plot forward in a in a different kind of like more compelling uh, way. I also just thought that it was a lot of fucking fun. It was just like a lot of fun. You know, she shoots the guy, she has her fling with him, you know, she thinks he's hot or whatever, and it's just like all that stuff worked like gangbusters for me. No, I, and, and like I, I didn't, I didn't mean to imply that I, that I thought she like did a poor job or anything. I just, you know, I think, I think the thing you identified, which is like that that secondary kind of effect, like that she's, um, sorry about the train, um, that she's a, uh, uh, that she kind of like doing this B plot stuff is is what leads to that kind of impression that she's sep- that that you know she could be entirely separate from you know uh, uh, have shot been been shot separate from the team. So yeah, I think that I think that's spot on. Um, yeah, I also do like how the the film pays attention to what she knows and doesn't know. Like there's that whole bit with Milton or yeah. whatever in the um, in the building and like in Jotunheim, and part of what makes that bit work is like the continuity of Harley hasn't been with the team all that long. You know, she like just joined with the team, and then later when she thinks that Milton is Bloodsport. That actually makes sense. It's like this, like it, it's a very like weirdly niche callback joke to the original, you know, like to the original joke, which I thought was insanely funny. I, I no, I mean, very hard. even like the, the whole Milton thing, like um, as, as itself, right? Because like I remember, like when they're walking into Jotunheim, and like you know, Milton's like on the side. I'm like, I guess he's coming with them too, right? And like, and he, he like he's there but not acknowledged by the camera really right like you just kind of see him you know and i was like okay i guess he's here and like i think that worked super well with the you know polka dot man being like milton right and like and harley like not knowing who i I just thought it was a really well done uh, set of actions right like to have him be in the background but there but unacknowledged so that when he dies that that kind of like harley not recognizing him makes sense am i making any sense yeah i get that i get you for sure um uh, what did you what think? What did you think of uh, like now that we're in Jotunheim, right? Like, what did you, what uh, that whole back half, right? The the kind of climax third act to the to the movie. Um, so uh, it it felt like a blockbuster, which was fine. It was you know, I am down for like a very kind of classic. Like it's you know, superhero team beats a big space monster is like very classic, very very good. Um, you know. I, I feel like the moment where Bloodsport like steps into his leader shoes or whatever like that didn't feel great like I think this might be like like to your point about Elgiselba being a better supporting actor than a leader. Yeah, that um, is like basically exactly what I mean. <laughs> um, yeah, like I said, like like I said earlier, um, I feel like I feel like Polka Dot Man's a little bit underserved. I also think that like, um, the Shark Man is a little bit underserved, but like the Shark Man was always like that's like that's like that character archetypes, um. Like purpose is to just be like kind of like uh, comic relief, uh, yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah. Um, uh, okay, somebody else we haven't talked about is Nanawe. Yeah, yeah, that's Chuck. I'm surprised this one didn't come up first because like I feel like this is the kind of character that you typically love in movies like this. Yeah, so he's he's fun, but like he doesn't get a lot, right? Like like. I, I liked I liked the David like I, I liked the polka dot man character better because like he had like a personality like 
the the mom thing was was at least neat right like the 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 the, the camera jokes to like make all the people look like his mom i thought were like pretty spot on um mm-hmm. but uh, uh nanawe or whatever his name is he just kind of like is big and like is funny occasionally but he doesn't like have he doesn't have like a, a good moment other than like the you know the the stretch pull right like like that's a that's like like a very comic book panely moment but like mm. it's not like it's not like it's a particularly big one it's not like that's like a particularly important enemy it's just like a guy he decided to tear in half um and so if like i don't feel like he gets a lot of like david disbelieving at least gets the uh the kind of like you know the the, the moment where he like the moment right before his death, right where he shoots, where he shoots uh, Starro and says, "I'm I'm a superhero," right? Like I don't think I don't, I don't even think uh, Nanui even gets that, right? Like he just kind of he just. I think Nadawe's version of that is being friends with the squad, right? Yeah, where, like, okay, that's fair. That's like the arc that it's it's very bare bones. Yeah, which is funny because like something that I think works about like Guardians Two is it has pretty complex arcs for a lot of for a lot of its characters. More complex than, you know, the Suicide Squad. But I think overall I like the Suicide Squad better because maybe it's just like an aesthetic thing or just like the way the plot is structured I think is a little more interesting and has better kind of dramatic tension and I'm on I'm 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 in the ride more than I was when it was, um, you know, like, when, when we were talking about, like, Guardians 2. It's funny. I, I, I guess I'm, I'm arguing that this is a stupider movie than Guardians 2, but it works better because of that, in a way. Um, and Nanawe is a little bit of a, a a poster child, I guess, I guess for that. Though, I'm a little depressed. I mean, Nanawe is interesting. Nanawe comes from Superboy comics, and then he gets hijacked into Aquaman comics, which is where he gets his name. And also his backstory that he is the son of the shark god. Um, that is lore from an Aquaman comic where Aquaman hangs out with Nanawe. Nanawe is kind of like a, a, a sidekick in his adventures or whatever. But he's like a plant. The shark god who just wants to consume everything, right? Um, put Nanawe in, in that group so that he could keep tabs on what Aquaman is doing, right? And have an inside man or whatever. And that never ends up coming because they canceled the run. But, like, that's, like, the core backstory of Nanawe, right? And then he kind of got adopted into the Suicide Squad in, like, more modern comics. Where I guess his role is just to be, like, big and stupid and say things. Because my understanding is that this is a very accurate rendition of the character yep. in, in Suicide Squad lore. Which is which is funny because his, his equivalent, which would be Drax, is not a very good uh, accurate rec- rendition of, of Drax in in the comics. Uh, oh really? I think it's the opposite. I think his his uh, his opposite is Groot. Oh, hmm. is that is that true? Just kind of like the big. I don't want to say dumb guy, but yeah, essentially the big. Because because Drax is the big dumb guy, though, right? Like. I, I think this is, I think this is more be a problem with Guardians, right? Like that, like it's they they don't band to five super super well. Yeah, um, maybe it's, it's it's almost because like Groot Groot and Rocket are like almost in, in most pieces of media that aren't that aren't the actual movie. They're, yeah, they're just a unit. unit. Yeah, yeah. Like um, like in like Marvel Ultimate Alliance three, they were they're they're one character, right? So, um, and you know Rocket's off at the mouthpiece for Groot, right? Um, yeah. Um, especially in Guardians Two, because Groot, Groot hasn't been a big dumb guy since Guardians One, because he, you know, he, he turned into little Groot. That's also true. Yeah, um, but yeah, no, I, I I still see where 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 you're coming from, but uh, uh, but yeah, no, I 
but the, the the point being that 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 you know, Drax isn't a great. Yeah, I'm still mad about Drax not being like Drax in the comics. Um, I'm also still mad about Drax not being like Drax in the comics. But I, the more I think about it, the more I do think it is like like Groot. Like I think part of it is the like the the big guy who has like the childlike innocence in a way, right? Like Nanawe running around with the alien fish in the fish tank. That's like a Groot moment. It's not a Drax moment. No, that that, like, that, that is true. That is that is that is definitely true. I I wonder if maybe this is like the. Uh, this is like the natural evolution is like in always like the synthesis of Groot and Drax. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the thing I was, I was, I thought he died. I was like, and that, and that maybe was the death I was, I would have been most like invested in and cared about because he is so innocent. You know, it's like killing a dog. Right. right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the, the idea that he's having fun with these like floaty jellyfish guys and then they eat him alive when the cage breaks or whatever, what that like? That's pretty dark, um, and I feel like you know. I, I think the death that works best for me is Rick Flagg's death because yeah. it is sort of the most momentous and important death in the whole out of everything. Yeah, and, um, and it, it gets the right cinematic treatment for it too, right? Like the yeah. shot where it, like you know it follows the fucking like piece of uh, ceramic into his fucking heart. That was fantastic, right? Like that really sold yeah. sold the moment. Yeah. Yeah, and I also think that like and it, that is the sort of um, that's like the thematic pardon the pun, beating heart of the movie, right? Like, the thematic heart of the movie is all built around this, like, U.S. interventionism bullshit, right? Like, the the politics of it, right? Where Rick Flagg, the, the, where the conflict is between, you know, Rick Flagg's sort of moral obligation and Peacemaker's sort of uh, immoral obligation to to Waller and they're that like that's what they're fighting over and I feel like insofar as the movie has a theme outside of generic stuff right like friendship is good actually right like um it's probably something related to these politics though at the same time I also think it's pretty muddy all things considered when it comes to like these these politics yeah no, I, mean, I mean you could probably make a really strong argument that like like Rick Flagg is the American ideal and uh and Peacemaker's like the yeah, American reality yeah that's exactly kind of what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Um, like, I, so for instance, there's a part of me that almost is tempted. I don't really love, so, okay, full disclosure. I don't really enjoy Marxist reading. I think it's pretty reductive. It's, it's important to be able to understand art, but like, it is not fun to be like, to always be talking in these Marxist terms or whatever. So I'm sure that like, on Twitter, there is going to be a subset of person who is frustrated by the inclusion of Rick Flagg because they're so close to this sort of movie that is like so scathingly angry about American interventionism. And then it goes and martyrs this heroic soldier who like stands up for what is right in the face of corruption or whatever. And it, or, or, you know, any of these like bureaucrats like that, like knock out Amanda Waller and, and, and work with the suicide squad, right? Like, that doesn't really jive well with like, and I think this is where the mud, where the mud comes in. Um, it doesn't really like jive well with a more straightforward America bad or you know, more nuanced America team world police bad, right? That otherwise the movie is about to do. Yeah, and I, I always sort of wonder if that's like on purpose. Did James Gunn put in? Rick Flagg and, like, the good guy with a gun, essentially, to sort of dodge this and not make it too political and kind of, like, 
wave the American flag a little bit, you know? <laughs> I mean, there was, there's, I've, I've heard the take that this movie was like secretly about cancel culture in kind of the, uh, the, the wake of, um, yeah, um, that was kind of my, re- my reaction too. Um, in the, because, you know, like this is in the wake, you know, this is his first movie post, um, being yeah. fired and then being rehired by, by Marvel, um. And I think the argument was there was something like like that's basically what everybody like you know, like I said all all the villains are are basically heroes right like I don't know if I buy that analysis so much but like you know I mean it, it makes for a good headline I guess right like um, I also saw a headline that was something like uh, you know it it but I it betrays its it's uh it's core theme in the last minute which i think is i you know i shouldn't talk about this because i didn't actually read the article i just saw the headline on twitter and was like i don't care and kept scrolling um (laughs) um what how because amanda waller stays in power i guess i don't know that or because they don't release the video i like that that moment i think is no that's sort of i you know one of the things that I think is cool about the Suicide Squad is that they are villains, right? Like, they are legitimately bad guys. Um, and this is something that I like a lot about Deadshot, for instance. Like, Deadshot is a, in in the context of Suicide Squad, and also later in Sinister Six, he is a truly mercenary man who will do very fucked up shit for a paycheck. You know, because it benefits him in some way. Because he's fundamentally self-interested and self-motivated. And if somebody is going to you know, like, reward him for doing something heinous. He's more than willing to do the heinous thing. This is, the, and like, this is the magic of Suicide Squad, right? Like, this is why Suicide Squad is so fun. And it's, like, an enduring, you know, like, comic book brand however long after after it's released because we're, we, we're constantly dealing with heroes who have the stiff upper lip and aren't willing to compromise, you know, whatever. And so sometimes it's just kind of, like, nice to let the villains be villains and let the villains do the evil bad guy thing. And the evil bad guy thing is to bury, you know, is to bury this stuff for Waller because it personally benefits them as individual rather than bring any sort of justice to to the greater world. And I just think that's the perfect shit right there. Like that's what I love. This this is uh, this is the hot take is you know this is the radical centrist movie right because they don't they don't <laughs> abandon the island nation to be destabilized they they, yep. they 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 save the uh they, they they save they save the uh the island nation but they um but they 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 you know save the 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 drive for for their own personal purposes you know that that's uh but yes um, do you do you so there not a lot of people live to see the end of the movie obviously harley quinn Bloodsport. Uh, Ratcatcher 2, Nanawe might be the only four that end up, and Weasel, I guess. Well, and, and Peace, oh, and then Peacemaker. Peacemaker yeah. The, so six people come out of this alive, right? Yeah, two in the post credits. Fifteen or so between the first two squads, right? Um, uh, would you be excited to see a the Suicide Squad two continuing the adventures of Bloodsport at all? Um, potentially, but like. I don't know what you could do with it. Like, I've, I feel like I'd be a lot more yes if Polka Dot Man survived because I think there's enough like interact interplay there for it to be interesting. Like, I just I just don't think there's like a, enough there without without a another like or you you have to replace him in some way, right? You like have like a, uh-huh. uh, like a, a similar similarly positioned character, um, 
And I think a lot of that would have to be... It couldn't be, like, the Suicide Squad 2, the continuing adventures of Bloodsport. I think it'd have to be Suicide Squad 2, the resolution of the drive plot. Uh, like, the, 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 the back-to-part drive. Uh, really interesting. Okay. Because, um, like, I... Like, I don't think this, like, works like Guardians 2, 3, 4, 5, right? Like, I just, I just don't think there's enough there. Because, like, they're not, they're not, like... The thing that I think ultimately makes the Suicide Squad concept interesting is being under Amanda Waller's thumb, right? Like, yeah. Um, and so, like, the, like... And so without anything pushing it, pushing it there, I, I just don't, don't think there's... Uh, like, because I also don't think the team is necessarily stable at that point, mm-hmm. right? Because, um, like, um, you know, par- par- again, another part of this is, like, is Amanda Waller forcing all of these people who, who otherwise wouldn't work together um, to work together to, to fulfill the terms of their contract. So, um, yeah. But that's my take. Okay, I get that for sure. Yeah, so I think... I would like to see a sequel, and I would like none of these characters to be in it. But maybe you could get away with Harley Quinn in a not way, because, like, they don't have... But I feel like a version of things where there's a new Suicide Squad with a completely new cast of characters that Amanda Waller has put together for whatever, and Harley and Nanawe are on the team for whatever reason, you know. But it's, like, just different, just different people. I think, you know, I, I, think um, I agree with you. But I think the the natural extension of this is the second Suicide Squad is going to get that hard drive, and that's where you get the tie-in. <gasps> that would honestly be great. I think that would be sweet to be completely to be completely mm. honest. I feel like that would be really sweet. actually. So so no, this is just coming to me, right? This this is the pitch. It's the Suicide Squad two. It's a totally different team of people, and then like it's the thirty minute mark before you find out that the, the target is their hard drive, and that's when the original Suicide Squad comes back in, right? And that, that's the conflict, is the old Suicide Squad. Yeah, and one of the things that's interesting is there's a lot of characters that are, like, Suicide Squad mainstays who sort of deserve to come into it, but haven't hit their... For, first of all, you, an easy one is Poison Ivy. Poison Ivy and, um, and Harley Quinn are a... like There are, like, a couple in the comics, on and off or whatever, but they do Suicide Squad stuff together. Um... Bronze Tiger is a huge one. Bronze Tiger is sort of what Bloodsport was, and I almost thought that they were going to go for Bronze. Bronze Tiger is just like a martial artist guy, um, but uh, but he's just like he's a great member of the Suicide Squad. I have always loved him as a member of the Suicide Squad. Um, you could do uh, Count Vertigo, who is a like he's like a nobleman, but he can like fuck people. He gives people vertigo, which sounds dumb, but it is, like, is he is he in, and, like, works better than that. Is he in Young Justice? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He is in Young Justice. Yes. Um, and then there's others, right? Uh, there's uh, Knockout. Uh, there's Shade, who I love a lot. Shade, uh, Shade probably most people know from, like, the um, um, the Justice League cartoon, where he, like, he can move through shadows and controls shadows or whatever. Um, there's Clock King. There's just like a million of these guys, right? Who you can who you can sub in, and I think that's the perfect way to do the Suicide Squad because the cool thing about it is you can sub in big name actors without tying them to huge contracts, right? You don't need to get Idris Elba back. You can do Bronze Tiger, and you can bring in a new, a completely new guy, and you don't have to lock him in for two more sequels. You can just say, hey, 
you're in for this one, you're out for the next. You know, like, like that's the that's the world we live in, right? So I don't know. I love all of these characters, and I love the Suicide Squad just like as a pitch in general. So I feel like there is a lot of uh, there's like a lot of good stuff you can do with the um, with like the rotating nature of everything. Oh, you know what? I, I, I this just just occurred to me, and this is just going back to your point about like um, the Nawe being Groot. The other parallel is he's voiced by a famous person, right? It's um, it's fucking uh, Sylvester Stallone. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. like Groot is Vin Diesel, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> um, man, James Gunn's got a pretty reliable formula book. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, honestly, uh, the the craziest thing and the thing that I think would be the very coolest, the tip top of awesome. For uh for uh, the Suicide Squad sequel would be to pull in characters from some of these other DC movies. Imagine a version of the Suicide Squad with Black Manta. How fucking sweet mm. would that be? Or you know Lex Luthor or whoever you know like any of these individual Victor Zaz. Does he die in Birds of Prey? I don't remember. You know like any of these individual characters that get set up in other you know in other DC movies showing back up as members of the Suicide Squad would be great. You know, you could you could also pay off shit like um, Deathstroke in uh, Deathstroke shows up in the Justice League in the Snyder Cut. I think he shows up in both cuts actually. But Deathstroke shows up in the Snyder Cut. He is an easy Suicide Squad member or a Suicide Squad opponent, right? Um, there's just there's a lot that you can do with this stuff. Yeah, I agree. And I love it. I agree. I agree. Um, yeah. No, it'd be. I don't know. Um, uh, so this is this is only uh, tangentially related, but in front of the film, I, there was the Robert Pattinson Batman ad, what it what, trailer rather. What did what did you think, or did you? Did I you have haven't that? seen that trailer, but I liked it. Something I liked it on the big screen quite a lot. Um, I I don't know. I just I liked it on the big screen a lot. I think I'm a little over this version of Batman, but I'm willing to give it the benefit of the doubt. And what I mean by this version of Batman is basically solo Batman. One of the things that frustrates me, I mean, even for Batman, ver versions of Batman that I like, right? Like, I like Ben Affleck's Batman. I like the Christian Bale Batman, right? Um, the Batman of the comics is about family, which I sounds like a bit, like I'm doing a bit, and I... I hear it. I hear it. Okay, I hear it. But the truth is, the Batman of the comics is much more like the Batman of Young Justice than he is the Batman of The Dark Knight. Or the Batman of, you know, the any of the other movies that have ever, that have ever come out. Mm. Um, the Nightwing is his son. Robin is his other son. Batgirl is his daughter. They have, you know, like, they have this familial sort of relationship um, where Batman is the dad, Catwoman is the mom, sort of, but she's, like, you know, different or whatever, right? Like, and that's just, like, that's, that, that's the stuff that makes good Batman stories in the modern era. They're, like, you just kind of can't ignore Robin forever. And it feels like we're on the third version of Batman without a fucking Robin, and I'm like, guys... You're missing the point here. Part of the point is this extended universe of characters, right? And you have some of that. One thing I really loved in the trailer is... Whoa, what's his name? Uh, it's the guy who's playing Commissioner Gordon, but he's he's has a dis, he's, he's a great actor who is, like, the perfect character actor for this part. 
the fuck is his name? Jeffrey Wright. Um, like, I think he's great. He's a really integral part of, like, the Batman mythos. I think Alfred in this is great and is also a part of the Batman mythos. I love his little conversation that he has, you know, like, with Batman. I like that this is a younger Batman. Um, specifically, one of the things that I think both, um, you know, like, one of the things that is cool about this, it seems, is that Robert Pattinson is just, like, a much younger-feeling guy than Christian Bale, or uh, much more than Ben Affleck was, right? right? Um, and there's... And so I like that, because I think that there's... Uh, the year one version of Batman is fun, right? The Bruce just getting out, starting out, not being great at the job yet, right? Like, not really being on top of everything yet. That's always fun, Right. But yeah, I don't know. That's my that's my elongated take on the Batman trailer, I guess. Mm. So, um, do you, you have anything else you want to say about Suicide Squad? Because like this is actually I'll just do it now, and we can talk more about Suicide Squad. About it. You need to you need to go watch uh, Max Landis's uh, stuff about uh, the. Okay. Uh, the, the, Are we actually? We should do. We could do an episode on it if you. Yeah. Want. You. I mean, we could probably do a whole episode. So the the, the last thing he released is um, uh, is is the the death the death of Batman. Um, which is like an hour and forty five minutes long and professionally produced, right? Like it's it's one of his kind of like him solo acting out the whole thing. Um, but it's really compelling and really crazy and gets into a lot of that stuff. But you really kind of need like the past year of his videos of him explaining every and probably so I have never read American Alien, which is the comic book that he wrote. Um yeah. but like th- this whole thing that he's been doing is um basically what he would have done over like the next you know, over the rest of that saga that he had, like, planned out in his head. And he's just explaining it. And it's very fan fiction-y, right? Like, I don't think it ever, you know... Like, I feel like if DC told him to write something, I don't think they would have let him write it the way that he describes it. Um, sure. Um, but I think it's I think it's super interesting. Um, and I, th- I thought that the uh, the death of Batman was, was super interesting. But I, th- I think it really only... I think it benefits greatly from having watched his older stuff so it's 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 a lot to invest in and i'll link to the death of batman in the in the show notes i'll see if i can find a playlist of, of all of them somewhere but uh um i don't know if we could get a full episode out of it um but i would be interested in your take on it maybe on okay, on air i, I on am the intrigued after. yeah i guess so um, yeah no, i i uh i i thought it was a super interesting take on it but um and it it it, it pulls a lot of those kind of family threads right like max landis for all max landis is is like a very big DC superhero fan, and I like. I suspect you might get a little bit of like the, it's he's deconstructing it a little bit too much, but I do. I do think it was, um, it was a very well done thing for being like a one man show essentially. I mean, he hired a okay. bunch of people, but like it was, it was you know, it's 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 his brainchild just kind of like exploding onto onto the screen. Um, but uh, that was part of my week. But let's let's jump back into other stuff about the Suicide Squad since we got a couple of minutes left. Um, did did you have did you have any other thoughts on on the Suicide Squad? I guess my last thought on Suicide Squad is I want to say Starro, but there isn't all that much to Starro. I guess Star the, the next thing about Starro is that he is the, the he is the famous uh, uh, he's the famous bad guy of the Justice League. The very first Justice League comic was about you know like or like a lot of the Justice League comes together comics typically feature Starro, right? So, for instance, one of the things that um, launched the Justice League cartoon was Bat- Batman Beyond. They did a Justice League Beyond episode 
where Superman was controlled by Starro, and it was like a big Starro thing. So Starro is like a, um, I don't know, he's a very like integral integral part of the DC universe, and I think I just liked, I think I just liked Starro a lot, especially as this sort of, um, man, the thing that he says when he dies yeah, is yeah. so brutal, right? Where he just wished he was floating among the stars, well, like looking at the stars. Well, whatever, he, what, like, what he said man. was, is I was happy floating among the stars, right? Which yeah. like, you know, to go back to our earlier discussion about themes, right? It's like, you know, it's almost like he's like a radicalized, uh, you know, individual, right? Like, because, um, you know, the Americans pulled him out of fucking space, right? And, and pulled him down mm-hmm. to earth and locked him in, in a fucking cage for 30 years. Uh, but yeah. Yikes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and, you know, obviously he's like, enslaves people and that's all, all of that is bad and everything. And Star, and I feel like Sorrow pops up every once in a while. So, for instance, Sorrow is in, is in Young Justice. In the season one of Young Justice, part of the chip that Vandal Savage puts in your brain is... Oh, from Starro. Starro, they yeah, pull yeah. out of Atlantis. Yeah. That makes sense. You know, but I don't know. I, I guess I don't have more complicated thoughts other than his fucking death line was brutal and great. It was. Also also the part where they walk in and they're like, you know, what the, the what's the guy with the thing sticking out of his head's name? Thinker. Thinker. Like, that, like Thinker is, like, you know, he's tortured me for 30 fucking years, right? Like, he's had his way with yeah. me. Um, yeah, him getting ripped apart was satisfying. Yeah. This is part of my thing. I just, I, I really just loved that so many people died. It reminds me a lot of Rogue One and how Rogue One felt like a breath of fresh air because it wasn't pulling its punches, had just, like, fucking everybody dies. I, I had that exact same feeling in The Suicide Squad. Like, in a world of, you know... Marvel? I don't know. Marvel, basically, right? Where everybody basically lives all the time, no matter what. Um, it's satisfying to just have a story where actually... No. they It's called The Suicide Squad for a fucking reason, and it's because you, you die. It, lots of people will die. I would... I was, something that amused me a lot was that when they did the flashback with Thinker, he just like had less things sticking out of his head. That just yeah, uh, he had fewer <laughs> things. <laughs> it just it, that that just like really hit me hit, hit me in the right way to, to to make me laugh. But um, uh, but yeah, no, it's uh, I think Starro was or so I, I guess the, the kind of interesting question there, right? Like or the interesting moral conundrum is if this is like Starro's nature, right? Like. How much? How much is he really evil? Right? Like, mm-hmm. um, I guess that's that's like an interesting philosophical question. Like, this this is how he like he lives, right? Like, he makes the babies and he controls people. Like, th- does he die if he doesn't do that? I guess I don't really know. Yeah. I don't know that I've ever like seen more complex Starro lore. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No. It, it's uh. Yeah. I guess that's the question for the ages. But yeah, no. I I, I also like to kind of like. He's a big bad guy, and they killed the big bad guy, and it was a lot of spectacle, and it was fun. Yep. And you know, I mean, the thing with the javelin paying off was yep. was legitimately neat. I mean, I like was a little grossed out by the eye thing, like that just like <laughs> got me. Uh, Do you ever play Dead Space, or maybe it was Dead Space Two? No, I haven't. There in Dead Space, there's a like there's like a puzzle where you need to extract optical fluid from the from the back of your optical nerve, and there's a whole thing about you have to direct the needle into your own eye, right? In in game with a controller, obviously. Um, and <laughs> yeah, no, I I mean that and like the rats pouring in afterwards, which is kind of like okay. Yeah, 
I mean, I think I feel like everybody typically has some weird body horror, you know, some piece of body horror that gets to them. For me, it's always teeth, actually, which segues maybe into our into our our weeks reasonably well. Uh, have you been playing? I've seen that you've been on Grime. Have oh yes, Grime? yeah. I thought you were going to talk about getting your teeth pulled or something. I was like, what the fuck? No, is he going uh, what to? the fuck? Are you kidding? No, there's a po- there's a portion of Grime. Yeah, spoilers yeah. for anybody who playing Grime. There's a portion of Grime where you're interacting with like teeth in the map like jaws that will shut teeth that you can pull up in order to serve as platforms um i hate it i fucking hate that i hate that so much yeah no i was i wasn't a big fan of of that aesthetically either um but i i I haven't played in a couple of days but yeah i uh basically just got past that part um uh, so have you beaten the third boss yes uh uh have you do you know, do you, I've played. I've played the entirety of my playthrough. Has been on stream, so far in a buddy gets good stream. Um, so we did the demo two or three weeks ago, and then on launch day I streamed for a couple of hours, and then on last Friday I streamed for a couple of hours, uh, just doing like buddy gets good grind. We're probably going to continue, you know, like next week or whatever. Um, and uh, but so I am. I am in. I am exploring that area of the map right now. Like I'm in Gloom Nest near the Feaster's Lair. I can tell that I'm getting, you know, closer and closer to the boss. Um, oh, you know what? The thing I just did is I beat the Jaw Stag and the Desert Watcher, who are two mini bosses. Um, yeah, no. in, in, over in that sort of area. I I managed to do the same. I, I managed to do the same thing, right? Like I managed, I so I had found my way down into Gloom Nest early. And then, like, the thing was very powerful. The first enemy down there was very powerful. I was like, I'll come back to this. Um, like, I wasn't sure, like... Yeah, the skewer, right? Like, the fallen rock guy that is jumping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I, I felt my... Like, and that area, I think, would have been blocked off if I had actually killed the skewer. Like, they, they do... I think... I To compliment the, um, the, the designer, I think that that's a pretty cool way to do it. Like, you can, like, edge your way into these areas... And like then they'll be blocked off, and when you come back, you'll be like, "Oh, this is that connection part that I was at earlier." Um, yep, it, it is the Metroidvania part. Yes, of it, right? yes, yeah, yeah. What you have because in order to to unlock that section of the map, you need to have the pull, which you get off the second boss, and you can pull the. There's like a bomb. You pull that bomb, and it breaks a wall that like lets you progress or whatever. Yeah, yeah I also think that that's very clever, and I love that. You know, I just lo- I love those kinds of interactions. That's also how you get to the Desert Watcher, right? Like, there's a platform in the ground. You learn you can pull platforms out of the ground, and you can just jump up that platform and get to the top of this thing, and there's a mini-boss up there wait, wait, waiting to beat, just beat you senseless. That guy kicked the shit out of me. Yeah. It took me maybe ten tries. Took me, it took me a couple of tries, too. I think that, like, um, so the obvious comparison here is to Hollow Knight, and I think the... The biggest difference is I think it's a very good game, but it's 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 just a little rough around the edges, right? Like, oh, okay. um, like some of the tracking on, like I think the Desert Watcher in particular had a problem where like some of the tracking on his moves was a little bit unpredictable, right? Like I'd get on the other side of him and he'd like, like track me through his sweep and then be like, oh, I'm on the other side of him, I'm safe, and then he'd like turn around and hit me. Um, oh yeah, that happened to me too. I wonder if that's intended then. Yeah, I mean it's. I didn't think about that as uh, you know as a bug or whatever, but it is definitely something that that he did when I was trying to like. Yeah. So dodge and juke. I don't know if it's. I, I will say I don't know if it's necessarily a bug, but kind of like in in the um, like in the kind of Dark Souls mold, right? This is much more Dark Souls than it is Hollow Knight, because um, Hollow Knight you have got a lot more maneuverability options, right? Like this game does a lot of the lock yourself into animations type things. Um, yeah. 
in Dark Souls, the kind of rule is just once the enemy commits itself to an animation, and once you commit yourself to an animation, you're locked in that animation, right? And so turning around kind of based on you going through and to him turning around feels like it's breaking that rule, at least to me. Um, Interesting. Uh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, there's a little bit of animation canceling in Grime because you can basically absorb whatever you want, and then you can sometimes dodge in between things to cancel animations. So, for instance, I don't know what weapons you're using, but like I'm using the um, right now. I'm using the 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 and the Yurglave special attack is a is a combo. It's like a four or five hit, you know, like sweep sweep attack 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 kind of combo, right? But if you if you dodge in between any of those sweeps, you can cancel that full animation. And so I think a truer Souls-like would punish me for committing to that animation in a bad spot, right? And um, and not allow me to dodge out of it, use the dodge to animation cancel. Um, but Grime is a little bit more forgiving than that. Yeah, I also don't think uh, a Souls-like would have an animation quite that long on, on a weapon that wasn't like a super heavy weapon. That, that's another thing that I, I'm... I, so I'm using... I'm. I, I got the um, like the the, the the pillar that's that required fifteen. Oh, strength. the pillar slab! I'm also using the pillar slab. So I, I I have that, but I'm mostly using the unformed slab because it's. I think the balance might be off just a little bit. The unformed slab is um, a strength weapon that has like mild resonance scaling. It's like got the eyes okay. in it. Um, I've actually I I guess I haven't unlocked the unformed slab. It's enough. it's it's in the um. It's in uh, rock, rock Hill or the 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 lithic 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 yeah, because okay. um, it's I think it's supposed to be like one of the rock people like in a in in like a piece of rock um, and, it's, and it's so it's it's slow instead of very so I think this might be a a, por, a part where if I like went and did like calculations on it I'd, I'd, I'd have like a stronger argument but I think maybe that the slower weapons aren't powerful enough to compensate for their slowness. Um, or maybe yeah, that's something that was definitely true because that got patched over the weekend. Obviously, I'm intimately aware of the patch notes, uh, but something that that I remember um, is uh, that strength weapons got buffed both in terms of damage and I, and this is what I thought they needed was they take less force per hit because yeah. I think the big advantage of the dex weapons was they didn't deplete your force bar, like your stamina bar, all that much. So it was very easy for me to use, for instance, the Fossil Fist, right? Um, you can use the Fossil Fist in kind of fits and spurts because the animation isn't super long. You're not really, like, committed or whatever um, without, without like, draining my force bar. But, like, doing two or three hit combos with a strength weapon seemed to just absolutely devastate, you know, like, the amount of, the amount of force I had, which I do think was a little, like not correct yeah so the the other thing i think that maybe they could have they could have done um would have been to give the very slow weapon make them uninterruptible um like that you can just oh, sure. eat the hit and like still get through with your big your big fucking slam um that yeah. was that was something i missed um just to confirm yeah one of the big things that i think is a benefit of those weapons which is nice is that they tend to stun enemies for quite a while so, which ironically makes them not great for these mini bosses. Yeah. But I feel like when I'm using the pillar slab, I can just chew through like the little guys without too much trouble. Because once you hit them once, they're knocked. They're knocked the whole time. Yeah. And you can just finish them off. No, that's right? fair. Um, which is which is useful. Did you use the bellow mace? Did you go from like the bellow mace. mace to the pillar slab? I went from the bellow mace okay. to the. I was using bellow mace and unformed slab, and then I went to the pillar slab, and then I've mostly just like not pulled out the pillar slab. But now that it's got buffed, maybe I will. Um, yeah. <laughs> just just because like. You know, the unformed slab is like a little bit faster, 
and like it doesn't do the big overhead, but it's 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 uh, it's special. Is it like throws people over you, and so it's it's basically oh, it's basically like uh, uh, it's basically like knocking them down, right? Like it's not as easy to follow up with them, but yeah. See, another weapon that I picked up was the Maul Sword, which is which is like the Maul Axe, but it's a little bit different. But the Maul Sword also uses that for its special, where the Maul Sword I don't think it eats them behind you. I think it eats them in front of you. Um, but, like, you hit somebody with the Maw Sword, and they go flying, right? And that's part of what makes it, you know, like, part of, part yeah. of what makes it good. This is part of, like, those weapon showcase videos I was doing, right? Like, the but I think my favorite weapon so far, to be honest, is the Fossil Fist, just because the Fossil Fist combo of the uppercut into, like, the aerial slam or whatever, like, all that just feels so good to, like, execute. Um, and then I went and I picked up the Yurglave just because I was around there. Like, somebody was like, oh, you should go get the Yurglave while you're here. Um, and I've just been using that. Because the Yurglave actually has pretty okay strength scaling, which I which I was like, oh, that's nice. Mm. No, I I want to like the Lanterns, but I can't get used to them. Like, they seem like... Oh, really? they the seem first Lantern, I think, is incredibly good. Like, they're cool, but, like, I just can't get the rhythm right on them. Like, um... I don't know. It just it, it it doesn't it doesn't work out for me. I'd rather just hit things with my big stick, you know, slap slap slap. Yeah, I think the burst lantern is sort of an. I don't, I don't know that I actually think this, but it's sort of like an opt-in challenge mode. I think it is so hard to use the burst lantern just on en regular enemies. They just attack too fast. And you just can never, like, stack shit up or whatever. I mean, this is one of those things I talked about in the Weapon Showcase video that I did or whatever. Uh, but it's so good against bosses and mini-bosses. Because, like, you because it doesn't use a lot of animation, right? It doesn't use a mm. lot of um, force to apply stuff. You can just kind of dodge around, parry stuff, right? Apply a couple of stacks, parry stuff, apply a stack. You know, and eventually you get to 30 and you detonate all of it. And especially, like, so on the Rock Giant, for instance... The parry or the the burst lantern stacks hit the rock giant's head, and you can like practically one shot him, which is just like that just feels so good, right? But I just think that um, I think it's so hard to use in sort of a normal way. I know there are a couple of other resonance weapons, so I think it is possible to do a resonance build, but it is a lot less intuitive than the obvious. You go dex weapons and you use the fossil fist in, in your glaive, or the, you use the you know the, the the twin fangs or whatever or you go strength and use the obelisk fist or whatever right like those are sort of straightforward resonance is a little more complicated yeah re resonance is, is the weird weapon that it's also like you build up your hunt powers that like scale off of resonance right like uh, oh yeah because there are a bunch of those yeah yeah what what hunt powers have you been like um prioritizing um so i haven't really leveled any of them past one yet um, but the big ones that I thought were that I, that I really like are the dodge through to damage and regain force. Um, uh, damage on repel, I think, is really good. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, damage on pull um, are the three ones. Oh, I haven't seen that one yet, actually. That is on the uh, the guys that do, like, the dive and nerve root. It costs three to get the first oh, level. Oh, the piercers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I feel like I've been going for very defensive powers, right? I got the one where it's like, if you kill a guy, he just leaves a little bit of breath. I did that one too, like, yeah, yeah. Whether or not you absorb him. I got the one that's like, um, your art, you get one additional ardor from each of your ardor sources. Um, and I got those because I felt like I was dying all the time. Like, I was just like constantly dying and I wanted to keep my ardor up, um, or whatever. But I feel like maybe I will refund those uh, like in the future because like they are uh, at a certain point like for instance neither of those will help me kill a boss right um, so 
I, I think the breath one is very good because healing is is you know so sparse. I, I think it's particularly important if you're using slow weapons and are, are you know occasionally taking a hit. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Um, yeah. No, I, I was also very happy to unlock the air dash. That was like clutch. Like that that that, that makes the, like it still feels a bit slow. Like Hollow Knight, I think shines a lot because you unlock enough powers you can start moving through through the areas very effectively and it still feels like that you're moving through areas relatively slowly in this which is fine it's just not perfect um yeah but yeah um i uh i like the map like i, I saw somebody i saw somebody on the discord saying this was bad and so i want to defend it but uh that that the okay. the mapping mechanic I like that. This, this similar thing happened in um, in Hollow Knight. The only thing maybe I would do differently is like let you draw the map out yourself without the mapping and like the map. Um, no, no, you don't need to do that. I'm I'm lying. Yeah, um, the thing that this also got changed over the weekend. The thing that changed was you now get the indicator for the beacon much farther away. Okay. So you can you you see this the little the tiny trail stream. That is yeah. That is a very Which good I change. I think is the correct. Yeah. yeah. I think that's the correct way to go about that. Just because um, what it makes me want to do as a player is follow is like follow the path. But by the time in in the previous version, by the time that I was seeing the thing, I was just like basically on top of it anyway. So I didn't get that feeling of like oh let me explore up and around to actually get there yeah no I, I i agree um the thing is 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 uh you obviously haven't gotten it yet but it is but it is on purpose very bad for the feaster's lair and uh, and by bad i mean like it's 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 very hard to find um sure um do you know where it is uh, yeah, I do. Okay. Offhand, just because I've seen enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Game, okay, yeah. So. No, and I, I think the the feaster's lair, I think, also kind of fucks with you because it puts the boss, it puts like the boss icon, and you think you're there, but like you have to go like over. I mean, I don't want to spoil anything. Yeah. But, like it kind of trolls you. A little oh yeah. With where that boss icon is. The other thing is, is I was, you know, I I do the very gamer kind of like I'm supposed to go there. That means that I head in every other direction first. Right. Oh, okay. And I ended up in such a way that I hit, um, I hit a mini boss. There's another mini boss down there, and it looked like it was the same. Like, is this the boss? And then, I'm like, I tried to go directly to it, and then I hit the real boss. So you know, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's a very trolly area. Um, and I, I think, yep. I think that's like a. I feel like that's a big moment in the, in the game. Like that's where it feels like it really comes in because you know you've got like you could potentially go to like, Gloom Nest, and like there's a second area too, right? That's like connected it's the one that's beneath lithic maybe or beneath world world pillar nerve root not nerve root there's nerve root and isn't there isn't there one in between gloom nest and i remember going going up into a into a second area like the flower people are in are in lithic right because you go out of... uh maybe there's also i don't know i don't know where it is there's also the garden is another area which maybe that is so so there i have fought one of the flower people but i don't know if i was in the garden when the I flower people are the second boss the... oh i'm sorry yes the, the, the whispering mothers but there is also there are also mobs that are okay flower people okay yeah who, i don't know if they're in gloomness i don't know if they're in the garden i know that the garden vaguely exists but i'm not sure if that's what yeah what, what you're referring to yeah so like under under lithic there's an area and then under the desert is where gloom nest is and maybe i'm i'm combining two areas but there's okay. like 
two or three di- different things to do on your way to on your way to, and there's nerve root too on your way to uh the feasters lair um which i, th- yeah. I think that, i think that's like kind of like the big metroidvania moment right? where you're really free to do anything up until that point it's kind of like you know climb your way to the top and there are some secrets to be found there's a lot of secrets which i think is neat um yeah, like a, the unformed slap. Yeah. I never found that one. I, you know, and I looked. I like. I went pretty deep in lithic. First of all, I like lithic the most, just because the music I think is great, and um, and I really wanted the obelisk fists, uh, which is hidden in lithic somewhere, and it took me forever to find it. Um, but I got that, and also the pillar slab is also like kind of um, hard to find in lithic. Yeah. Um, I mean, once you know where you're going, it's at, you know it's at the very top, but you know it's. Uh... Yeah, the one I'm looking for now, I know vaguely that the jaw axe, which I've never used, but is you see it in the trailer, um, and is a powerful strength weapon, is somewhere near where I am, and I've been looking for the jaw axe, but I haven't found it yet. Um, and I think that that's like neat, you know, like like looking for for these items, obviously. Um, so I do want to say that one moment that really got me that I thought was really well done is there's like a hermit crab thing with like a with like a red stone. Jaw crab. It's maybe it's got like a red stone on its back. It looks it looks like the upgrade material, it, not not the shard but the okay. but the the. Um, it there's like the little the little shards they're like the red ones that you get from moment one and then there's like the slightly bigger ones that are like the chunks or whatever. Um, okay. They're like and it looked like. It, is this a mini boss? It's not really a mini boss. It's just like a. It's it's there's like it's not a super common enemy, but it's like laying in the ground with its back exposed. It doesn't look quite like the slab, but I hadn't seen it enough times, so I went up to try and pick it up, and it got me. Um, it didn't kill oh, me. Oh, and it did the. Oh, I I know I know what you're talking about. Yes, I know those those. <laughs> that is pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> I was watching a streamer today who could not for the life of him see the little because the, the the indication is like they're two tiny little teeth popping out okay. of the ground, right? This is this is a different one than that, but yes, those those two. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. Th- oh, interesting. This one's like a big, like big red rock sticking out of the ground, like the upgrade material looks like. Okay. And it looks, it looks kind of like a hermit crab, but it's uh, not important. Um, but yes, like the the those little bastards are also terrible. Um, and I, <laughs> okay. No, I I fucking like, uh, and by terrible I mean like frustrating, but like in in like a not unfair way. Um, did you do Did you do anything else this week? Yes. So uh, the big things I did this week were so last week that I forgot to talk about. I read um, Clans of the Alphane Moon by Philip K. Dick. I did a couple. I read a collection of Philip K. Dick short stories, and then I read Clans of the Alphane Moon. Clans of the Alphane Moon. Um, the basic premise is uh, Earth set up a mental hospital on a on a foreign planet, um, and then a kind of abandon it, and the Patients escape the hospital and have created their own civilization, and they basically organized organized themselves by their mania. Um, and then our main character is on Earth. He writes, he programs simulacra, who are like people that you can't quite tell are, are robots. Um, and they ba- he he works for the CIA and he programs to spout like capitalist propaganda to counter the the Russians because this is the era that Philip K. Dick was writing in. It's like all very Cold War, and okay. this guy's wife who is an absolute and total bitch has like raked raked him over the coals in the divorce and she is going to go the government is sending her to go to that planet to basically reclaim it and he needs to like he is operating a simulacra that's going along with it but she doesn't know about it 
and he's going to maybe kill her. And it's a very, very nutso book because uh, it's like, it's, there's so much to this book that is just like ridiculous. Um, the other part of this book that I think is uh, notable, I guess is the way to put it, is, um, you know, the meme, like, you know, like the woman breasted boobily down the stairs, right? Like the, that kind of like men writing woman type meme. Like, yeah. uh, you know, it's like, I was like, oh, that's like a fun hyperbole. This, that's actually how Philip K. Dick writes women. It's, it's <laughs> <laughs> like, I think every female character has their breasts described in great detail. Um, <laughs> and like the, uh, like, yeah, it's funny. like the, there's like, like one of the details of the world is like, there's like a, like a nipple enlargement surgery, plastic surgery. That's very pop. It's, it's a very, it's oh a, my God. Um, <laughs> um, that's amazing. Holy shit. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's funny because like, this woman, that's his, the, the, the main character's wife, is, like, a total, like, psychopathic bitch. Um, and, like, Philip K. Dick was married five times, right? Like, you can tell where some of this stuff comes from. Um, I don't want to spoil too much, but it ends, and it ends in a very fucking weird way. Um, it's a very weird fucking story. And also involves, like, a mind-reading fungus from Jupiter. It's, it's, a weird, it's a weird book, and I... That sounds weird. I tend... I the... I don't know. I feel like I feel like people sort of lionize Philip K. Dick uh, because of like Blade Runner and stuff. Do Android stream of like, oh, sheep, etc. I I tentatively recommend Clans of the uh, of the uh, Alphane Moon. Just know what you're getting into. Like it's okay. it's it's Jesus short too. It's like 192 pages. Like um, I I listened to it on on audiobook, which is fun. But uh, um, the other big thing I did was is I started re-listening to Dune. Um, in preparation for the movie, which I assume we'll do an episode on, so I won't bore you too much Absolutely. with that. Absolutely. Um, the new Denis Villeneuve movie. Yeah, I love that guy. Yeah. And Dune's a great story. Have, have you ever read Dune? I have not. I, I mean, like, it's funny because Dune is, like, baked into the DNA, I feel like, of, like, most modern science fiction. Yeah. Right? Um, and I it, I have never I have never read it. I have experienced more Sex in the City than I have Dune in terms of the great, you know, precursor works in, 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 in terms of the canon yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah but yes do, 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 do we do we all agree that fast and the furious is is canon is, is that part, is part of the, the canon, canon? <laughs> oh man i mean who might say no uh, <laughs> <laughs> so what, what have you been doing with your week you know i have not been doing that much i guess i've been playing wow but there's nothing like nothing crazy about about WoW recently. Um, I mean, I like the changes to Torghast a lot, and I've been like going a little bit harder on Torghast each and every week. And I think mostly what I like is the tower knowledge, right? Coming out of it, just really it it, it fills that roguelike progression feel that I always wanted, right? Coming out of the dungeon or coming out of the the thing um, with a. Uh, like with so, with something to show for it, right? Um, it, that feels good. That feels you know like fun, I guess. So I actually I ended up doing a lot of Torghast last week. I did like five Torghast runs, maybe not not all at level twelve. I was doing some at level eleven just to get people up into level twelve. Um, but I don't know. It was just it was just a lot of fun. Torghast is very perfect turn your brain off activity for me. Even though like layer twelve does not fuck around. And will kill the shit out of me a lot. 
Yeah, no, I, I like, um, I still haven't uh, done level uh, eleven yet because, like, I, I went to do it last week and like, it was a little hard. Like, this, this is like very much a Diablo problem. It was like a little hard, and it was like, oh, maybe I can't do this. And then I went and absolutely stomped my way through level ten, and it's like, maybe I need to try level eleven again. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I get that for sure. Yeah, like, you know, and it's nice because I think part of it is that warriors just have very good powers. I like always like powers, and I feel like I have a bunch of different builds I can go um, at any individual time in Torghast. So. Um, I never get that, like, chore-gassed feeling that, like, the WoW community complains about. But I also think that, like, I don't know, there, there's a lot of drama in the WoW community at all times because they everybody hates the game at all times. Um, and, uh, and I remember, you know, and I was talking with some players about this, which I thought was interesting. You know, okay, so, I, how, how, I, I want to I pitch you a diagnosis, in a way, and see how much you agree with it. So what I wrote was, maybe I can actually find it, hold on. What I had written was... Um, I wrote, uh, I I was talking about, like, the, the way that, like, gear and, like, content works in WoW, right? And the thing that I had said was, um, god damn it, I will never find this, apparently. Okay, so, the fundamental gameplay loop of WoW is do content get rewards, right? right? And WoW provides a variety of content for you to do and a, a variety of rewards to get. When that loop is functioning correctly, they reinforce one another, right? You go to raid, you have fun raiding, and you get items, and getting items feel good, and you go raid and get more items, right? Like, that's the that's the loop. This is the thing that, this is the engine that keeps WoW, WoW running, right? When that loop isn't working correctly, you either get the boring chore feeling which is where the content is unfun, but the reward is impactful. So I'm churning through a bunch of bullshit I don't want to do because I want the thing at the end of it. Like, I want that reward, right? Or the why do I bother feeling, which is when the content is fun, but there's no good reward at the end of the day. When you're just like, I've already, I just, there's no upgrades for me in normal raid anymore. I've already killed Sylvanas or whoever a million times. Why am I doing this? This is not worth my time, right? And I feel like that's, like, the delicate balance in a game like WoW. Or really any MMO, right? But, like, WoW, spe for, for WoW specifically, right? And one of the things that I was thinking about is why WoW places uh, power in locations that aren't, like, the raid or, like, dungeons or, like, PvP or whatever else, right? Like, you need to go do your Corthia dailies to get archivist research so that you can get gem slots on your gear and you can get you know, the, whatever, the conduit upgrades or whatever else. And I feel like the answer to that question is because, like, if everything comes out of the raid, then you just have players complaining that there's nothing to do in the game except raid log. And I just feel like that's, like, an incredibly difficult balance to strike. And yeah. I was wondering, what, what do you think? No, I, I, I think you're absolutely right. Um, like, I'm kind of there with... Um with the Corthia stuff, right? Like, I want to push all the way to the top, but it's, like, a lot of grind to get there, right? Um, uh, and, uh, I, like, I, I think I you're think right. It's, it's a tough balance because you want people to be able to do things in a bunch of different ways, but that also has the risk of the people who want to maximize feeling like they need to go do absolutely everything 
in order yeah. to, to, to maximize their power and them being like, I have to do all this bullshit to maximize my power. And then they burn themselves out yeah, of the yeah, game yeah. because they're doing all this shit they don't want to do because they feel, like, obligated to. See, I feel like I, I would... <laughs> I referred to that feeling, in a way, as brainworms right. with another group of people when we were talking about something unrelated. Um, we were actually talking about Hearthstone, um, w which is, like, the that desire to be optimal and to it's the water find the crack thing right but it's not that it is it is that you are choosing to let the water find the crack and we were kind of comparing magic the gathering and hearthstone because i was talking about I, to, I i i let i let fly my controversial opinion that magic is a bad game except for commander which is a good format like commander makes magic the gathering a good game actually but without commander it's bad and, I, and something I was talking about is how, like, people will kind of, like, instinctively power down their decks in Commander, right? Like, you do, th like, if you want to run incredibly powerful win-on-turn-three decks, you can, but most players don't, because point the part of the point of Commander is going to turn ten and slamming a big fatty that would never see play yep. in any other format of Magic the Gathering, right? Um, but... Over the years, Commander has kind of slipped in that way, right? Even... You remember a couple of, like, two or three years ago, I was talking about Commander a lot on the podcast. I was playing yep. a lot of Commander, and then COVID hit, right? And then we're on the other side. So, having played Commander on both sides of COVID, I feel that happening. And it feels like we're moving into a Hearthstone world where it's just learn the meta, play the meta, right? And that and that can be fun, right? I, I have a lot of fun. I actually just picked up Hearthstone again. Um, because they released a card that I think is very cool and I want to see if it works and I've been trying to make it work or whatever. But part of what makes Hearthstone, you know, like part of what I enjoy about Hearthstone is the learn the meta, play the meta aspect of it, right? If you're enjoying understanding the, di the different decks in the metagame, if you're enjoying having a good read on your opponent because you've seen this deck played by, not necessarily them, but like a million different times, that's a different kind of fun than the letting myself just sort of flow right fun and i feel like for wow it's tough because i sort of think a lot of players wish wow was like old edh right and it is now new edh and it is unfun also coincidentally people fucking hate edh and hate magic the gathering and hate wizards of the coast just as much as they do world of warcraft yeah i always i would talk about this like this parallel that i thought was interesting yeah i i think i think the problem the the fall of edh is i'm gonna call it is, is pretty well facilitated by MTG Arena. Because, um, like, this, this is this is the hot take, right? Commander is not a format that should be played online. Because, yeah. um, and it's not necessarily strictly the, the like the, the avenue, it's that the better thing is, Commander is not a format that should be played against random strangers, right? Commander is a format that you play around the kitchen table with your friends. And that, and since it's about fun, you don't feel as compelled to, to play to win if you're playing against random strangers online especially random strangers that you can't communicate with um the only purpose is to win and if you're going to win you're going to optimize and if you're going to optimize you're kind of going to defeat the spirit of edh and uh that's the and once that starts to happen it's hard to like pull out of it right like because like it's not like that you don't want to win an edh it's that you don't want to be like oppressive i guess and it's hard to regulate that right like if you're playing EDH around the kitchen table, you're probably not playing enough rounds to really optimize the hell out of your deck. And if you're playing online, you, you've got that opportunity. I think that's the problem. Yeah, there. and it's funny because I was listening to a podcast recently, and in the podcast they were talking about... Um, so the podcast is called The Command Zone, which was a podcast that was started in 2014, which was right around 
the official adoption of EDH into Commander by Magic the Gathering, right? When the command zone started out, it was the first of its kind. There was no, there was nothing like this, right? But now there's a really robust sort of ecosystem, ecosystem for it. Now, as I was listening to the command zone, something that they were lament, they were lamenting this. They were like, you know, I remember the day when my power curve was at turn five, right? It was at five mana. Um, but now my power curve is at three mana. And I feel like I'm playing you know, modern rather than my playing commander a lot of times because the the stuff I'm I'm arcing in my deck is I'm arcing into three mana, you know, plays essentially. And um and there was this brief moment of self awareness among the hosts where they were like, and honestly I think that's partially our fault, right? Because we are now this resource where we tell people what the good cards and the bad cards are. We tell people to cut cards that are too slow in their deck so that they don't get, you know, so, so that they can actually play efficiently and sweep opponents who are too greedy, right? And uh, and it was just that like that moment of self-awareness that made me just be like, woof. Because I when I think about, wow, I think about the, the same robust infrastructure, right? You know, Icy Veins and Wowhead and Streamers, right? You know, one of the things that I thought was the most fun, the most fun I've had in WoW in maybe... Maybe since I came back to the game in Legion, I think, was going through Tazavesh completely blind, right? No understanding the mechanics whatsoever. And part of that is that we willfully didn't optimize ourselves by, like, looking up how the bosses worked and walking into every boss fight with an understanding of its mechanics, right? But that's exactly how we raid. That's, that, that's expected of us in raid, right? That's something that we, you know, people enjoy setting up and explaining boss fights and all this other sort of stuff. So, I don't know. I, I don't really have a point here, but just that yeah. I think all of that in aggregate is interesting. No, I, I absolutely agree. Um, yeah. I think we should probably write it up there here because we've got Raid in 15 minutes. Um, yeah, speaking of fucking Raid. Yeah, exactly. So um, if you'd like to tell us what you thought about Suicide Squad or any other things we talked about this podcast, you can reach us at subversivegames at gmail.com or podcast at subversivegames.com. You can follow us at twitch.tv slash games where these go live. Um, rate and review us on iTunes or anywhere you find podcasts. Uh, all the normal stuff, links are in the description. Uh, that's everything I have. Buddy, you have anything you want to promote? Uh, I have one small thing that I would like to promote, which is movie night this week, which is, and I, I'm literally saying this for your benefit because I feel like you might enjoy, uh, though you're, I think you're busy at this time, um, is we're watching Pee-wee's Big Adventure, which I have never seen, but is like a cult classic from the 80s, uh, and it's, it'll be the Akupara Games server, discord.gg slash Games, Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern. <laughs> so if you want to come and hang out and watch them <laughs> with us, that's the time. Yeah, I, I, I did not do my Pee Wee Herman laugh very well. That, that's what that was an attempt to do. <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, all right. With that, I'll say until next time, your listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners.